Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, February is here, and the shows are ramping up the storytelling for what has traditionally been considered Sweeps Month. So on Bold and Beautiful, the custody battle for Douglas will heat up as Hope and Thomas head to court. Sheila will keep a secret from Bill, and Taylor will set Brooke up with a new man to date. On Days of Our Lives, John Stephen Roman will plot Orpheus's death. Kate, Marlena, and Kayla will see some familiar faces in the great beyond. We'll meet Jada's sister, Talia, and Xander and Gwen will scheme to steal the spectator from Jack and Jennifer. On General Hospital, as Curtis and Portia's wedding day approaches, so does a potential reckoning over Trina's paternity. Heather and Ryan will take their act on the road and bring Esme along for the ride, and Sam and Dante team up to go abroad to solve a mystery. And finally, on Young and the Restless, Victor targets Tucker, Ashley returns from Paris with a plan, and look for a shocking twist in the Diane-Phyllis rivalry and the paternity of Sally's baby to be revealed. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. The, the teaser that I think I am most intrigued by is Taylor setting Brooke up with a new man. So who who is he going to be? I, I don't know, of course, whether this will be a, a blip or something that will like turn out to be a big chapter in Brooke's life. But I obviously think it is high time for her to explore a potential new relationship with someone whose last name is not Forrester and is not Spencer and is not Sharp for that matter. Uh, but there are like approximately zero guys who fit that description on the canvas. So I am going to be watching with great interest. And I also hope that Brooke returns the favor and finds someone new and awesome for Taylor to date. Oh, that would be amazing. But I also think that some people thought, you know, based on what we're seeing on air, that Taylor and Brooke could wind up together. <laughs> I mean, some of their scenes of late have more than a friendship overtone to them. I'm not sure if that's intentional or not. So we shall see. Now, I didn't start the podcast off this way, but sadly, we have two new soap deaths to report. The first is Annie Worshing, who played General Hospital's Amelia in 2007. She also appeared on 24 and most recently, The Rookie, which I watch and love. Uh, you know, she had cancer and was only 45, and it's just so heartbreaking to hear. Um, and another vet who passed away is Lisa Loring, who played Cricket Montgomery on As the World Turns from 1980 to 83, but is perhaps best known to the world at large for playing young Wednesday Adams on The Adams Family. And she was only 64. In happier news, however, Daisy's Lamone Archie, who made a holiday visit as Eli and also appears on All American, is engaged to Kristen Terry. So congratulations to them. You know, I follow Lamone's dog on Instagram, so I just want to put it out into the universe that I think she would make an amazing flower girl. You're here. Uh, something else that I want to mention that fans can find in the new issue is an interview with Chad Duell, who did our character study feature. He had me absolutely howling with some of his takes on Michael. I think uh, of Michael as such a serious character and it's very well established that Chad is a goofball in real life. And I feel like the trains met in this interview. You know, fans talk a lot about how uh, everyone that Michael dates dies and Chad weighed in on that and uh, a lot of other things that I think fans will resonate with. And I, I think it's a must read for GH fans. Oh, it was a must read for me. I mean, I have to say, I don't know Chad really at all. And I definitely have some issues with Michael, but I absolutely adored this interview. I really appreciate when actors have a good sense of humor about the dopey or illogical things their alter egos do. You know, Chad really had fun with it while, of course, being respectful to the writers. It is just such a great read. So I also encourage everybody to check it out. Um, now, our guest today has a lot of soap experience under her belt. It's Krista Tezro, who played Guiding Lights Mindy and one 
Love Life to Libs Tina. So let's check in with her and see what she's up to. Hi, Krista. Hi, Stephanie. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Well, we are so excited. We have been trying to make this happen for a while, so I'm so happy we are finally chatting. Exactly. Same here. And hi, Mara. Hello. <laughs> um, so, Krista, we are going to just learn a lot about you right now, but we're going to start that you're a native of St. Louis, Missouri, which is not one of the entertainment capitals of the world, but you were a pianist and a celebrated one at that when you were young. So how did acting enter your portfolio, if you will? Well, you know, I I never thought of myself as an actress, really, uh, as much as a performer, and an entertainer. That's kind of how I've always looked at myself. And so I think um, really I started playing the piano and performing on the piano at an early age. Um, so how did you actually break into like professional performing, if you will, or, or you know, start your, cut your teeth as an actress? Oh, as an actress. Um, well, I think it did stem from performing the piano at, you know, like five years old and being in front of a lot of people um, at such an early age with that. And then with the dancing and being on stage dancing, and I suppose being in all my school musicals and plays <laughs> led to um, commercials, a lot of commercial work and um, some, you know, lifestyle modeling, if you will. So I think to answer that question, though, the first professional, aside from commercials, was um, in St. Louis. I did an industrial film and it was for the phone company. It was back in um, 1981. I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school. And, um, you know, Jerry Stiller, Ben Stiller's dad, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira came to town and I was cast as their daughter. <laughs> and that was that was a lot of fun. And I really had to memorize my lines. It was a, you know, I took off school two weeks and it was a really wonderful experience. Wow. Now, did had you ever considered making music your career? Like if you obviously were uh, so talented, so young, that could have been something you pursued. Yes, absolutely. My teacher at the time, uh, she was really wanting me to stop everything else. She said, please stop the dancing, stop acting, stop everything and just focus on the piano. Because um, at the time, I believe I was 14, 15 years old. I was competing in concerto competitions and I placed second in a, in a Jefferson City piano concerto competition. And that was nice. But I got to be honest. As much as I love the piano, and it is my favorite hobby, I couldn't see sitting at the piano for 10 hours a day. And really, it's like anything. When you want to excel in your profession, you're, it's, it's like the Olympics. I, I just couldn't do it. I could practice one to two hours, but then I'd have to get up and tap dance and <laughs> just dance around. So... And I ended up incorporating a tap dance while playing piano, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> and a little beauty pageant. And uh, and it was the variety competition. I hope um, you won. That's impressive. Yeah, I, I told my mom, I said, put me down for baton twirling, dancing, instrumental category. And then there was a variety category. <gasps> I'm like, put me down, mom, put me down. Yeah. And so I, I played Maple Leaf Rag and I tap danced. And at the time, I didn't have to bend over to play piano. I'm, well, I'm so short. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm like five foot two on a good hair day. <laughs> so, you That's know, amazing. Uh, yeah. That is so well, funny. You were still a teenager when you were cast on Guiding Light in 1983. So tell us how that all happened and what your casting story was. So, well, I, when I came out here, I was 18 years old. And when I refer to here, I'm in Los Angeles okay. and I was taking acting classes during, you know, at nighttime and during the day auditioning, I had gotten an agent and a manager right away. Um, and I, I auditioned for the guiding light and I had never really watched a soap opera before, uh, but I had a few callbacks and then I had to screen test um, and I screen tested with Michael O'Leary along with 11 other Mindy's, potential Mindy's. 
And then after that screen test, my agent called me right away and said, well, they want to fly you to New York and they want you to meet with uh, with Grant Alexander Philip." And I thought, well, I better tune in to see who Grant Alexander is. And uh, so my agent said, yeah, it's, it's down to you and one other girl. I thought, oh, wow. And at this point, by the way, they had just cast the role of Beth and uh, Judy Evans, who could almost, we look similar, to be honest, you know, or blonde, we're the same height. And and so I'll never forget when I tuned in and I saw how tall Grant was, and then I'm sitting next to this other actress on the airplane. I'm telling you, she was beautiful. And she was about five foot 10 brunette. And I thought to myself, why on earth would they cast me (laughs) as Mindy, another blonde, you Mm -hmm. know? And I thought they look like Ken and Barbie, this other act. So I think that was my mindset going in. That's so funny. Now, wait, if you had just moved to LA, were you even up for moving to New York? Like, did you care where you wound up at that point? Yeah, did not make any difference to me. I didn't know a soul in Los Angeles you know, except a few good dance teachers. And I was in their class, um, Joe Tremaine, who was Mm -hmm. phenomenal. And all the kids or the the dancers in my class were on solid gold. Do you remember that? Of course, that's big stuff. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, no, I, um, I was thrilled to just go to New York. I'd never been to New York. So that was kind of my mindset, just, you know, enjoy the trip. Um, you'll get to experience New York for not, not even 48 hours. Mm-hmm. It was a real turnaround. So, oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. So you get the job, you move to New York. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, even before I got the job, I remember the, um, the director telling me I made the changes that he wanted. And then I, I flew back to LA and my agent told me, you know, the tape has the, uh, the audition tape has to go around to CBS, Procter & Gamble, and it has to be viewed by the executive producers. So they said, you know what, you won't even find out anything for another week or two. I thought, oh, okay, okay. He called me the next day and I thought, okay, he said, I got news. And he said, I heard you did so bad on your audition. And I thought, no, I didn't. Not really. <laughs> And he said, you did so bad, you got the role. <gasps> and I I just didn't believe him. I'm like, no, no, no. I am not finding out for another week or two. And he said, no, no, no. You got the job. I had to hear it three times before I kind of believed him. That's amazing. I know. And he said, no, they decided. And he said, and actually the role, you start in about 10 days. So you need to uh, sell your car, make arrangements and be in New York, you know, within a week. Oh my gosh. It was a whirlwind. Yeah. That's Uh, unbelievable. So you're like 19 years old. You arrive in New York City, you know, from Los Angeles, but hadn't been there very long. Your life had really been Midwestern centered. Oh, so what kind of culture shock are we talking about here? Okay, I went from an all-girls school wearing the uniform like six months prior, you know, (laughs) all-girls school to, you know, having bed scenes. I now think, what were my parents thinking, you know, (laughs) so much? I think, you know, whirlwinds are fine when you're 19. You know, yeah, I just, I didn't have a choice. It just, you know, they handed me a big stack of scripts and said, you're going to average between four and five days a week in your front burner storyline. I didn't have time really to think. Mm-hmm. You just, if, you, if you had, you wouldn't have known what to make of that. You know, it was just what the task at hand was. Exactly. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the learning curve like for you with soaps? You know, how did you, how were you on your first few days? Wide eyed and bushy tail. So, you know, Mindy stepped off a bus that was her first scene you know from from Oklahoma and um I felt like that I felt that was exactly me so and uh and Mindy is an adventurous girl that and and we had a lot of similarities I felt 
This is one great experience. Well, the Lewis family was relatively new to the canvas at the time, but obviously became a mainstay of the show in no small part due to how brilliantly uh, its members were cast. So let's go through some of your Springfield relatives. Tell us about working with your on-screen father, Jordan Clark, who played Billy. Absolutely loved him. Um, we probably had, I could even cry talking about Jordan, one of the best relationships of anybody on the show. With Jordan and I, I felt probably the most comfortable where it, it wasn't even acting. We were just being. We would just run lines and it was it was there. You know, I just felt it was effortless with him, probably more than anybody. Very uh, giving actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what about Robert Newman, who played Josh? Oh, he's the brother I never had and wish I did. You know, just a big love. Um, that's, you know, I, I know this sounds corny, just the amount of support and love that I received was just something I never expected, you know, especially you hear about the business, you know, the business end of it and just, you know, actors that went upstage or that would, you know, stab somebody in their back to get a role. And it couldn't have been the opposite, more opposite. Mm-hmm. It just um, giving the same with Maeve Kincaid and Grant and Michael O'Leary just had me laughing every day. I mean, how lucky mm-hmm. I look back and think, you know, I, I realized that I was lucky in the moment and the success of it all. But I think looking back, it's even more special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before before we get deeper yeah. into the Four Musketeers, yeah. what are your memories of Larry Gates, the mm-hmm. late legend who played H.B. Lewis? Well, Larry, this sounds crazy. He was my grandfather. He was. I didn't have a grandfather. Both of mine had passed away. And Larry's attitude, Larry and Jordan, I'm going to say both of them equally, maybe, because Larry would walk on and say, ah, don't even think about the scene. Just do it. Just, just do it. And that was his whole attitude. And he was so much fun that I remember a few scenes we would be right in the middle of back and forth dialogue. And all of a sudden he would go off on a monologue. And I'm thinking, where the heck is this coming from? <laughs> because this wasn't scripted. <laughs> and then finally they, you know, producers in the control would let him go on and on and on. And like, like two minutes later, they'd say, and cut. Larry, where were you? <laughs> oh, that was my monologue from a Broadway show in 53. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You're like, okay, well, we're back to scene four (laughs) or C. And uh, yeah. Oh my God, love that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Um, Well, the saga of Mindy and Rick and Beth and Philip, aka the Four Musketeers, took the show by storm and drove storyline for years. So Mm -hmm. tell us what comes to mind when you think about that time you spent, you know, doing that storyline and working so closely with Judy Evans, Grant Alexander, and Michael O'Leary. They're about the most down to earth, all three of them. And I think that's what allowed us to gel. That was one of the things, aside from you know, Betty Ray, I have to give Betty Ray, bless her, uh, so much credit, the casting, you know, um, and, uh, and Gail Kobe. And, um, you know, they just, these guys, Judy and Michael and Grant made going to work so much fun every day, every day. I would have smiles on my faces. I'm sure you heard about a few of the incidences with Michael and the laughter. We have this scene and it's Mindy's supposed to be a quote unquote director and she's supposed to be serious. And, and the others were clowning around. Um, and Michael O'Leary kept ad-libbing lines and it just kind of made me laugh every time he'd ad-lib and the director didn't want that. And she was just like, Michael, cut. 
please, Michael, don't ad lib that line. So he wouldn't, he would ad lib a different line and another one. And she's like, look, guys, you just want to keep, you know, chewing up our time clock here. I need to move on and put you at the end of the taping order. And we're like, ooh. And so I couldn't believe he did it again. And so I just <laughs> laugh. I, and I tried to suppress the laugh and I couldn't. And, you know, and so anyway, so she said, all right, guys, uh, we're going to take a meal break and you guys are going to be after dinner. Okay. So we were put at the end of the order of the day. And um, felt like bad kids getting, you know, we were disciplined. And so after dinner, we all went out to dinner, by the way, <laughs> had a big meal and came back. And um, so we're doing the scene and um, I, we get to that point where Michael is ad-libbing, you know, and, um, and the director, she, she didn't blame me, which, you know, and I'm the one that laughed. Maybe I shouldn't have laughed and we would have gone on with the scene. But anyway, so it's after dinner, we're at the point of the scene here comes the line. And I'm just like pinching myself like on the leg, like don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh. And sure enough, he ad libs like two, three lines and, and they're funny. And I'm trying to suppress the laugh and I fart. <laughs> that is so not me. Oh my God. And it's like more, I'm mortified. I mean, that's, I, I, and it's so audible too, you know, and, and so, and you know what I do? And they had a two shot on me and Judy Evans. So, you know what I do? I, I look at Judy, like, did you hear that? You know, <laughs> look like that. Did you hear that? She looks at me right away. Like, Oh, Oh my God, you just farted. Look, <laughs> when I lost it a little bit, not to mention Grant, he, he heard it. They all heard it. They, everybody heard it. And so Grant starts laughing and finally you hear, and you hear the, the crew just like, you know, like pulling their headset off, like, oh my God, that was like so loud through my headset. And then they yell cut. And then, you know, people are like fan in the air. And at this point they're like, it's, that's like Shamu and heat. They said that was like a huge I'm like, guys, it wasn't that big. Oh, like, oh, my God. So anyway, um, needless to say, we 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 did it again and <laughs> made it through the scene. Fast forward. I'm at a, a pharmacy, like a, a drugstore. I'm standing in line. And what do I see? Soap opera digest. So what do I do a lot of times when I'm standing in line? I buy the magazine too, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> we love that about you. <laughs> I'm standing in line and I'm reading and it says catching up with Michael O'Leary. I'm like, oh, oh, let me read this article. What does he do? He tells the entire story. <laughs> and that's for, and I'm quoting Michael, the Shamu and Heat. That's a Michael O'Leary line. And um, I'm, I'm standing in this line and like going, oh, I'm reading it like and people are looking at me in line like what are you reading you know and uh, yeah anyway so um sorry I, oh, yeah right yeah I, I couldn't like say well my uh, fart story that Mike was now <laughs> you know really like going to town on this one and <laughs> I thought what happened in Springfield stayed in Springfield, but here it is at the supermarket checkout aisle. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I still amazing. owe Michael, you know, yeah, you I need do. to get him big time, big time. Oh yeah. He, he has it coming to him. Sure. Um, okay. So Mindy was of course the troublemaker of that group. She did her fair share of scheming and faking pregnancies and the like. What do you remember about how you were approached by fans, maybe Beth and Philip fans on the street and at airports and wherever else you were? Well, um, honestly, back then, every it, it seemed like the fans, thank God, still loved Mindy. They they just wanted to shake some sense into her. And I I actually had a fan at the airport come up to me saying, Mandy, why did you do that? I just want to, can I do this to you? And she just kind of took me by the shoulders and then she gently like slapped my face. <laughs> oh my gosh. She said, we still love you. So I always felt like, you know, Mindy did all the wrong things, but, but the right reasons deep down. Mm -hmm. And it was always because she either loved her family, but 
She wasn't malicious, I don't think. She was misguided, not malicious. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Well, what do you remember about shooting on the streets of New York for the storyline where the four pals took off to Manhattan? Oh, I remember it was cold. I remember wardrobe putting me, giving me some long johns to wear under my coat, but they wanted the coat open as I was running down the street. And so I had them under my skirt, these long johns pants. And, um, and I'll never forget as I'm watching the show, I see my long johns. They, I was supposed to take them off. Well, I didn't think they were seen. (laughs) And of course, fans notice everything they do. And, uh, they, they noticed when I had a barrette on the right side of my hair and I moved the barrette to the left side of my hair, seriously. And, uh, so, uh, but working again with um, Michael and Grant and Judy, and it was more Michael because Judy and Grant had their scenes, you know, with uh, Bradley Rains and mm-hmm. and um, Mindy and Rick got a job while Mindy playing piano in a in a bar and a bar restaurant. So, well, what was uh, that like for you to now play piano as Mindy? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Anytime. And I'll never forget the first time I never told him I played and Betty Ray had, um, I believe she had a shower for her daughter. Anyway, I was invited to this little party and she had a piano. And um, so I sat down at the piano and she said, the writers are going to hear about this. They're going to hear about this. Is that okay? Yeah. She said, well, we have to incorporate this. So, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, well, another location shoot that I want to know about is shooting the wedding of Kurt and Mindy because they were such a storybook couple with a storybook wedding uh, and your groom, Mark Lewis, played Kurt. Yeah, just, um, do you know, I don't think I've been back. It was at the, um, held at the Caramore Estates and it was probably a two-hour drive from Manhattan, just gorgeous property and to have had doves the horse-drawn carriage the white horses the you know the helicopter just circling it was just beyond anything oh can I tell this little story you know my bright my um flower girls I Mindy had three flower girls because the train on the wedding dress was so long it was over 20 feet and they made the dress, by the way, a lot of French lace, a lot of imported material and um, or fabric. Anyway, not too long ago, I was at a charity event and Sarah Michelle Geller came up to me and we were chatting a little bit. And I said, oh, congrats on all your success with Buffy, you know, the Vampire Slayer. And she said, do you remember me? And I was thinking, I said, well, yeah, from all my children, because she won an Emmy for that, by the way, you know, that role. And she says, no, 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 before that, before, I'm like, before all my children, and I'm racking my brain. And she said, I was your flower girl. When you married Kurt, when Min, I just was blown away. I had just let that go. Like, who you know, knew that I, trivia? I mean, that's I know. amazing. I know. And she said, yeah, that was one of her first gigs. And I thought that was so. And then, you know what else she told me? And I'll never forget this. It was so sweet of her. She said, you know, when we were in the rehearsal hall and we were blocking our scenes and the director was there, she said, we finished our scenes. And she said, you would always go over to the piano and play piano after the dry rehearsal. And she said, my mom used to make me stand there and listen to you play piano. I had no idea. I love this story. Isn't that sweet? That's so great. And she's such a great lady and so sweet. And then I let her know that um, my niece, my sister's daughter, Krista, she's my, yeah, my little goddaughter. um, She's a huge, huge fan of um, uh, Buffy. And Sarah said, you bring her, here's my number, bring her to the set. I'll treat her like a queen. And guess what? She did. Oh my God. I you love know, that. Put her in her uh, Winnebago, brought her dinner, said, sit in my captain's chair, my director's chair. And yeah. 
That's so cool. Well, while you were starring on Guiding Light, you also made several appearances on the iconic Circus of the Stars. So we found the most amazing photos of you with Olympian Greg Louganis and in the cutest, flashiest archery outfit. So there are not too many people we can ask this question of. So we have to know, what's it like to be on Circus of the Stars? So, so loved it. Because, you know, my background is gymnastics and dancing and uh you know how in life sometimes one thing leads to another the right turns the left turns well what precipitated the um circus of the stars was actually um captain kangaroo and they had asked for um me to come on and be part of a skit who stole the jar of pickle peppers was the name of the skit and was that the football player the um you know the coach the umpire or the uh, referee or the cheerleader. And, um, and just FYI, I stole the cheerleader stole the jar of pickled peppers. But anyway, that cheerleader. Yeah. But as cheerleader, they allowed me to do a back handspring, a back flip. And uh, so I think that might've caught the eye of somebody at CBS and said, Oh, she does acrobatics. She would be good, you know, for circus of the stars. So the first time they had already cast uh, for the trapeze roles, you know, and um, and they asked if I would be Charlie Callis's assistant and Tim Conway's assistant. And oh, they were both hilarious and fun to work with. Then the second time I did it, I did the um, trapeze, which was my most favorite one, um, doing a stationary trapeze. We did it in uh, shot it in Las Vegas over Caesar's Palace. And that was, I, I trained with Barnum and Bailey Circus uh, for three weeks. Oh my gosh. And that was, that was a real stunt that I was doing. And then the third one was the uh, bow and arrow with this um, um, marksman, uh, Bob. Oh, I'm trying to remember his last name. He was considered the number one marksman in the world. And um, so here I am, I have to preface, I, nobody wants an arrow shot at their head, really. I can see that. (laughs) But being, I suppose, in my early mid-20s, and it was wintertime in New York, I was working a lot. I kind of wanted a break. They said, look, you'll get a break from the show for two weeks. Go to California, sunny California. The pay is good, you know, and you could bring your sister. And we put you up at the Four Seasons for a few weeks and you get a convertible car. I thought, I'm there. I'm there. So, and that was it. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Truly. Uh, All right. Another iconic series that you were able to do while also playing Mindy was a guest spot on Quantum Leap, where I believe your your character was named Nurse Someone, but I believe you played a character on a soap opera. Uh, And Matthew Ashford, who's on Days of Our Lives as Jack, also appeared in the episode uh, as I believe his character was named like Husband. Uh, what do you remember about that experience? Yes, it was. Um, I loved that show, by the way. Me too. I just thought it was um, just a wonderful, wonderful show. So I'm kind of glad to see the uh, remake is done. Yeah. You know? And um, so it was, uh, yeah, he lands in in a soap opera setting. And uh, the nurse, one of my lines right away was, doctor we're losing him and he plays the doctor and he's like what do I do you know and you see this look on his face and all of a sudden you hear cut (laughs) (laughs) and he looks around and there's a bunch of cameras so um but he uh such a nice guy um Scott Bakula Scott Bakula he just sweet and let me tell you what happened at the end of our episode he's like you know we're going to have a wrap party for the season. He said, I'd like to invite you. And um, so I um, I was thrilled to be invited to the wrap party. And now I didn't know Los Angeles very well. And I had just either was out visiting anyway. But I thought, oh, we're going to dress up. It's a wrap party. It's kind of like a premiere, I thought, you know. And so, and I got the invite and it was held at a bowl, like, um, and I thought similar to the Hollywood bowl and it was like Corbin bowl. 
And I thought, oh, that must be really, really nice. So I get all dressed up. I'm on my way there. And I'm on Ventura Boulevard looking for this Corbin Bowl. And I thought, huh. And it's a bowling alley. You know. (laughs) I thought, okay, let me just take this gold lame jacket off. Take the earrings off and just uh, go in anyway. So I went in and had so much fun bowling. And um, and at the end of the night, my car wouldn't start. And Scott Bakula and his then wife, Krista, by the way, um, came out and Scott fixed my car. Oh, amazing. <laughs> really? Yes. So uh, another uh, sweet sweet guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now you exited Guiding Light in 1989. What went into that decision? Well, some of my contemporaries like Meg Ryan and Marissa Tomei, they were catapulting their careers into nighttime and major film and romantic comedy films. And I thought, I love comedy so much that I thought I, I could see myself doing this. And so I left, you know, they, they offered me a great contract and in retrospect now, I, I should not have, I shot myself in the foot in a couple of different ways. You know, you should never close the door in life. That's what I've learned that, you know, I felt like I said, nope, nope, I am leaving and I am going to be skyrocketing my career now. And, you know, uh, yeah. Everything fell apart after I left, you know, and just so many unexpected things happened that I just had no, no idea. So this episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, I remember I remember being very, very sad. It was very heartbreaking to young Mara when Ms. Ms. Krista Tuzro left Guiding Light. But then I remember seeing you you know, do, you did pop up in primetime. I remember on some of my favorite shows, My Two Dads, Who's the Boss? What are your memories of being on those sets? Oh, yeah, it's so much fun. Um, Paul Reiser, I was actually, that was going to be a recurring role to be his secretary in My Two Dads. And uh, that was just such a fun experience. And I was hopeful that that would, you know, but then the show didn't make it. But um and, um, you know, who's the boss? Just I loved again. I just loved those comedies. But um, what happened was my, my personal life took over. And um, I had um, I always thought I was good with saving money, to be honest. And and um, from the show, I never spent the money crazy and I never blew the money. But I um, I invested in real estate and I invested in three properties in Manhattan. And I'll never forget, Lisa Brown gave me great advice. She said, kid, you need to buy. You need to buy because I think you're here for a while. You know, um, and she said, so So I bought a condo on um, Central Park West and all three of the properties were on the Upper West Side. So I thought, no problem. When I When I left in 1989, I would just rent them out. They would pay for themselves. Things would, well... 
guess what? Um, do you remember Black Monday 1987 was the stock market crash? Mm-hmm. And but the real estate didn't get affected till 1989. And like shortly after I left the show, completely tanked, you know, the real estate market. So talk about bad timing. And um, and then in retrospect, I realized I put too many eggs in one basket. You know, you don't buy three, buy one, right? right. You know, and diversify. Well, now I married a financial advisor and I know that. <laughs> Where was Glenn back in 1989? <laughs> right, because that's what somebody else came along that it was just not right. A guy that um, I liked him a lot, but we couldn't have been more opposite. And, you know, he was really long on emotion. And I needed somebody at that time. Oh, I didn't. There was like a big piece of the missing puzzle here. After I started having all this trouble um, with the real estate, I was pulling my hair out, just really stressed over that. I get this phone call from my mom at four in the morning and I just hear it in her voice. I'm like, what mom? Who? Who? She said, your dad. Your dad just had a massive heart attack and died. I mean, and she had to get that out right away. And um, he had just had a birthday and uh, just turned 59. Oh, gosh. And um, two weeks after his 59th birthday, which just FYI, I turned 59 two weeks ago. But that's unbelievable to think about. Yeah. So, you know, he was young. He had never been sick ever. And that affected me so much that uh, it, it just for years affected me. And, um, you know, and just started not making good choices, you know, Uh, in addition, it's then the real estate. And then this guy came along and again, it wasn't so much, he was nice. He was long on emotion, but he, he proposed to me three weeks later and I said, yes. And we got married and, and it was just not, not right. And um, so if somebody were to tell me like Krista, a year after you leave Guiding Light, you will be, you know, financially struggling because you, and I walked away, by the way, I gave back these condos and um, cause I couldn't keep them up. So I lost a ton of money from that. All my savings I had, uh, well, my dad, you, you would not have a father and you would be divorced. You would be married and divorced. I would say you're nuts. I I wouldn't believe that if somebody told me. Wow, that is unbelievable. And that's quite a story. I'm so sorry. Um, well, in 1992, you returned to daytime on Santa Barbara, playing the role of Andy. So at the time, the writing was sort of on the wall for the show, and it went off the air early in '93. But what was your experience on that show like? Uh, well, I I knew the show was. Um, going off the air. It was kind of a sinking ship when I came on. So um, I was on the last uh, 10 to 12 months, I think. And um, good experience in in a very different role. Uh, Andy was just a a crazy nut. (laughs) (laughs) Nut job. And uh, so, but again, maybe it was mirroring a time in my life where I was ready for something different. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I was I was grateful for the work. And, you know, so and and my thoughts of catapulting the career kind of, you know, I made a lateral move back on soap opera, you know, and and just tried to uh, just work was my goal. Right. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, so not long after that. Uh, One Life to Live came a knock in and tapped you to play uh, the iconic role of Tina, which was so identified with Andrea Evans, but had uh, most recently been played by Karen Witter. So how did that come about? And back to New York, you went, by the way. Exactly. I have moved coast to coast LA, New York five times. Wow. And uh, which was okay. You know, I've always um, driven my own car in life. I've always been, you know, um, paying my own way and just kind of steering my own ship. And, uh, but I, I like that, but it came at the best time for me because again, I had a few hard knocks. Um, I was in the 94 earthquake out here. Um, I was living on one of the top five or top three or five worst hit streets 
And my building, I was living in a condo and the building got red tagged. It had structural damage and I had three days to get out. And I, um, yeah, on the third day, somebody came in and looted the place. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. at the time I was dating a guy and little did I know he was having a drug problem and he wanted me to move in, but I knew not to. <laughs> and um, so I moved to Westwood and the phone call came in and it was one of those things where I thought, oh, my dear God, like God literally looked down on me and thought, I'm going to pluck her out of this situation and put her back in New York. Yeah. And, um, and it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> and although the realtor, when I went back there, she was showing me a few places to live and one place overlooked my old place that wow. I owned. And I thought, no, 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 I cannot look at that view every day and be reminded by that. Right, but, right. But, but New York, I have to say, has always been good to me, always. And I, I consider it my second home. Not sure where my first home is, St. Louis or LA, but wherever I am, I suppose. Right. And yeah, so I was, I was grateful to go back and work. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, well, you did tell Digest in an interview not too long ago that you struggled a little bit with the sex kitten angle of the role and how provocative some of the material uh, that was written for you was. So tell us about that. Well, yeah, because um, um, again, I came from an all girls school and I was, I don't want to say I was a prude. Maybe I was a little bit. Um, but the uh, Karen Witter, and it's such a sweetheart. Some people in life are uninhibited. Well, that's not me that, you know, and, and I wish I could be a little more, you know, and um, yeah. So, um, and Karen, you know, I mean, she, she was in Playboy and very uninhibited. And so, you know, I, um, I was asked to do a few scenes where they wanted a profile and silhouette of my boobs. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> No. Are you kidding? I said, I'm not Karen. <laughs> I'm not Karen. Me, you know, and it honestly, it wasn't that big of a deal looking back at it. But yeah, no. And and that's always been my rule. I was never gonna do nudity. And um, oh, I guess it was John Voigt. I had a meeting with John Voigt on a film and I auditioned a few times and I met with him and he said, listen. There's a shower scene. And he said, I just want to make sure. And I'm like, well, that's that's what stunt doubles are for, right? And he just looked at me and said, Yeah, but we I don't want a stunt double at all. At all. And he said, So you would have to be comfortable, you know, doing that. And I just looked him in the eye and I smiled and I said, That's not me. <laughs> that's not me. And I I would feel uncomfortable. And he just kind of stared at me like, wow. Right. Yeah. And he said, well, I really appreciate your honesty. And, you know, he said, I wish you all the best, but, you know, it's not going to, I said, I guess it's not going to work, but, you know, good luck to you. <laughs> well, I think it's great that you, you know, stuck to your guns and, and knew where your lines were and didn't cross them. You know, it, it, especially as a, you know, younger woman in your career, I think that that would probably be intimidating to a lot of people who would have regrets about not have, you know, having done so. So I applaud you. Oh, thank you. Cause I, um, I remember one other audition too. It was for a baseball movie. It wasn't a league of their own. It was a different movie, a B movie, but, um, I loved the script, but the, um, I don't know whether it was the director or whoever it was, but he just said, you know, um, I want to see you in a, a bikini. And I don't know, I found that odd. And then he said, do you own a G-string? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. And I just smiled and I said, oh, I'm sure I, somewhere in a, in a drawer. And then he said, when do you want to come back for the uh, callback? And I'm like, oh, you tell me. So uh, I left there thinking, who actually says, when do you want to come back for the callback? You know, usually they yeah. tell you when to. So I called my agent and I said, he asked for a G-string for me to, you know, I said, I'm not going back. I'm, I'm not going back. And that was the end of it. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, yeah. That's so, terrible. Honestly. But that was, honestly, I think that was 
if that was the most, you know, I, I never saw the casting couch. I was never put in a situation, knock on wood, you know, okay. I'm very fortunate overall. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, at One Life to Live, Tina, during your years, as always, had her on again, off again thing with Cord, played by John Leprano. What was John like to work with? A big teddy bear. Just, again, very down to earth. Yeah, just what you see is John, you know, and he kept the material fresh and just, we just, you know, worked together really well, really well. Sweetheart of a guy, loved working with him. Uh, now, as Tina, you're a part of another iconic soap family, The Lords, and Tina's sister, Vicky, was played by the legendary Erica Slazak. So tell us about working with Erica. You know, I had heard that Erica was very professional. I was a little intimidated, to be honest, at first. But you know what? She she was the consummate professional. I'm telling you, newer lines every day, just the minute she walked onto the set. And uh, a great actress, loved working with her. Just, um, she was just so, uh, I don't want to say anime, but just such a wonderful actress that it just felt so fun when you're working with somebody like that, at that caliber. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to say that the years that you were on One Life to Live were some of my favorite years as a fan of soap opera in general. Um, I loved the Tina, the Tina Blair rivalry and like the rocky relationship that she had with uh, her surprise half-brother Todd when she discovered that this persona non grata was actually the Lord heir. Uh, just a storyline I absolutely love to this day. But what stands out to you about working uh, with Cassie DePaiva and Roger Howarth, who were playing Todd and Blair? Oh, um, and David Vickers, by the way. Of course. Huck Watkins, too. Of course. Just, just so much fun. Um, you know, I, I welcomed the scenes with Cassie that were just the cat fights. They were just, I mean, the... The crazier it was and the more catfighting, the better it was. I mean, it's like every actor's dream. Don't they say every actor wants to be shot, <laughs> <laughs> wants to play out a death scene and just the catfighting, you know, and wearing the beautiful clothes. So, I mean, I, I had two out of the three. I never died. <laughs> I was never shot. <laughs> uh, so two out of three. Uh, and uh, Roger Howarth, uh, great actor. and. He, you know, I got along great with him, you know, mm -hmm. just, he was a smidge on the quiet side, but just, I thought he was a great guy, just mm -hmm. a wonderful guy, you know? So I loved it. I just love, you know, one life to live though. I look back and I have some regrets a little bit. And I feel like that was a time I was still grieving my dad, you know, because um, he died at the end of 89. So it takes it's a process, you know, when somebody passes, you know, the first year or so you're in shock and then reality keeps setting in. And at the same time, I was in a relationship with somebody who I was trying to save and I could see their life slipping away. Um and it was due to drugs and it was it was sad for me and i kind of wanted to be their savior and i tried to keep the relationship up going back and forth to la and honestly not many people know this about me that it it was um it was not good for work you know and i really feel like i shortchanged myself and i was flying at least every other weekend back to LA on weekends, taking a red eye Sunday or Monday and going right into work. And um, I don't know. I just wish in retrospect, I um, would have just made it more important in my life that, you know, um, so yeah, I, I feel bad that either sometimes I phoned it in that the writers weren't sure who Tina, my Tina was going to be, you know, and there was this transition, but um, yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like I only shortchanged myself by phoning in a few performances, by not being there in the moment. So yeah, anyway, I don't know why I just felt like I'd share that. Well, I appreciate that so much. And I, I feel like, uh, 
that's so relatable. You know, I think we all have those times in our lives where we're swept into something and, and don't, you know, don't keep the focus where yeah. maybe in retrospect, we wish it were, but obviously yeah. in terms of like your life journey, I'm sure that that was something that needed to happen. Yeah, probably. And I don't know, I still look back and think what, what was my lesson in all of that by doing that, you know? And, but they're, I'm still figuring out as we all are, but you know, I wish in a way some people have mentors in their life. And I feel like I had some mentors kind of on the guiding light and just kind of there because to me, that was home. That was home away from home. And they were my relatives, you know, but you know, when I was on a different show, it's so hard to keep in touch and it's so hard to, then I, I kind of feel like I lacked mentorship. And I wish, so when people have that, it's such a wonderful thing in life, you know, mm -hmm. to, to be mentored, to, um, to be a mentor to somebody and to help somebody. Cause, um, as much as I was given this insanely wonderful opportunity, I could have done so much more with it, mm -hmm. you know? So well, anyway, well, what factored into you leaving one life to live? I think, no, the contract was up, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I think they they still didn't know what to do with Tina and where to go with Tina, what to, you know, and so they didn't have storyline. And, um, you know, and I I was kind of seeing myself in L.A. I always kind of felt I, I was seeing myself in Los Angeles and it was kind of one of these. All right. Well, I don't know. It kind of fizzled, to be honest. It fizzled. And and I do take blame for that, um, you know. So, but maybe I was meant to be back out in LA because I'll tell you what fell in my lap after I came back was, um, it was a real niche thing. It was again, just getting me back on track, um, financially. And, um, it was, um, infomercials, hosting infomercials. I was booking three and four at a time, you know, and then all the residuals off of those. And, and here I, here I am in my thirties at this point, And I thought, you know, I didn't have a good social life so much. And some of my friends were back in New York and I don't know. And I, I ended, we ended the uh, bad relationship that I kept trying to save and, and that fizzled <laughs> and it died a slow death actually. But, um, um, so I thought, you know what, I'm now at a point I'm doing these little infomercials. I can, I can play. I can actually have, I don't know. I can go out and just, be with friends and have relation, you know? So that's, that was important to me at the time. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I was just following my, my turns and curves and just went with it, yeah. but knock on wood, I felt like every turn was for a reason and it led me somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Krista, in 2002, you made your first return of many to Guiding Light to visit as, as Mindy. But I bet that when you think of that year, something else stands out a little bit more vividly in your mind because you yeah. went on quite a significant blind date that year. Oh, okay. uh, so tell us the story of that life-changing introduction yeah. Yeah. to a certain someone. Well, at the time, I had gone out on a lot of blind dates. So much, I just... Oh, yeah, it was not pretty, not pretty. But I always found something I liked about blind dates, though, to be honest, going out, I just learned something about the person I was with, you know, and anyway, so um, Glenn uh, had gone back to his high school reunion back in Chicago. And one of his schoolmates, Jackie, Jake was, is one of my dearest friends. And she had never thought about putting us together because either I was in a relationship or Glenn was in a relationship, you know, and, um, and so they got back together at their reunion and decided to have lunch in Los Angeles. Uh, Jackie lives in LA. And then for some reason, I guess Jackie and I went out the next night and just went out for drinks. And I'll never forget. I said to Jackie, I said, I have to go to the restroom, but if my future husband walks by, just detain him, okay? <laughs> so I come back from the restroom and she says, oh, I got it, your future <laughs> husband. I'm like, really, where, where is he? And she goes, no, 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 no. She said, I went to my reunion and his name's Glenn. And she said, oh, he plays piano too. She said, and he's from the Midwest. You guys would have a lot in common. 
And so she said, I'm going to call him. And she must have because Glenn called me the next day and Glenn and I just talked on the phone. I thought, oh, sounds really nice, you know, (laughs) and then we made plans to have lunch. And um, so we um, we went out to lunch and oh, my gosh, we hit it off right away, right away. Mm -hmm. And still married today. Um, (laughs) Almost 18 years. Yes. Very nice. Mazel. Um, Well, your final visit to Guiding Light took place during the very end of that show. So what was it like for you to be there for the final hurrah of this legendary program? And what do you remember about your last day of shooting? Oh, well, (laughs) ironically, my little boy, I have two kids now. Mikey is 18. Well, he'll be 18, 17 and Julia 15. Mikey at the time, I think was about three years old and he came with me to New York and he was an extra on one of the last scenes. And I just loved, they said, okay, start in on a close up of little Mikey in the stroller and, and pull back to reveal we're in a park and then cue Mindy, you know? So um, um, I remember that really well. It was wonderful seeing so many of faces I hadn't seen in years just years. And, um, you know, um, it was like riding a bike. It really was. We picked up where we left off and, um, just people like Liz Kiefer, who I love and adore. I never really worked with her, but she and I just, it was so great seeing her. In fact, I think I stayed at her house and, (laughs) yeah. And then I stayed at Tina Sloan's house one night and, um, it was just almost like coming home. It was like a big family reunion. Uh, it was it was that was sad, you know, that it was going off the air. I still can't believe so many soaps are not around. You know, I feel so fortunate because you know, really, the eighties were the it was the heyday of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I felt like I was right smack dab in the middle of the height and success yeah. of all of them. Uh-huh. So how lucky, how lucky am yeah, I? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you look back on your years in daytime television and, and quite frankly, the mark that you made in two very significant roles, um, two beloved, no longer with us shows, what does it represent to you? Yeah. Again, I look back now and am even more appreciative, I think now than I was when I was in it. I was in it and I loved it. And I knew it was, I knew it was big. I knew that, I mean, I saw the ratings and it was really, really popular, but it especially, it sinks in even more when you have time and distance from it and you look back and think, wow, that is just so special. I mean, that's the special. And like, I just feel like I've had so many, I've had ups and downs in my life and that is absolutely one of the best times of my life. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it's quite incredible to think about, but in just a few months, you'll mark the 40th anniversary of your Guiding Light debut. So... Oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Shot through the heart. <laughs> right. Well, you know, tell us today, is acting something that you're interested in doing or is that something that you well, consider to be more in your past? That real that can't be because I'm 38. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I've never been afraid to tell my age. I actually just turned 59. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> um, no, you know, I feel great, but um, you know, TV, what I hear is it's not kind to, you know, aging. You know, and now, and I've got these crow's feet that are now meeting my laugh lines. And now it's like one big comma across my face and on both sides. (laughs) Um, And another regret, I did smoke for a while in my 20s and um, it's way, way in the past. But I, okay, to answer your question, yeah, you know, once acting is kind of in your blood, it's always always in your blood. Even if I never act another day in my life, it's in my blood. But I um, I don't know. Timing has to be right. That's all I know. And right now, my life is so busy and so full. And I love it. And it's interesting. I look at my life and like, 
um, since I met my husband, you know, different chapters that being married, having, you know, this incredible home life and two wonderful kids. Um, and my mom is living with me and I just love her to pieces. She's 94. And she, yeah, she's been living with us for six years. And I think all the fans out there know that I have just loved my family so much. And my parents used to come to New York all the time. And my dad was on the show, was on Guiding Light as the mayor for several Amazing. episodes. Yeah, that's great. And um, just and my mom, my biggest supporter, my number one, always has been, always will be. And so I don't know, I want to spend time with them and we vacation quite a bit, which is nice. And I'm on a couple of boards in the neighborhood and I, I volunteered at school so much and I'm right now, um, I'm playing piano more than ever and, uh, full circle. Yeah, exactly. So, and I'm actually, um, I don't know if I told you this, I, um, I'm going to be performing at the Kennedy center. And um, I'm so thrilled to be doing that. Um, the date might get changed, but right now it's tentatively set for May 30th. But I'll let you know. That's uh, excellent. For sure. Yeah. Very impressive. And we give little piano recitals and concerts. So we have three concerts planned in the month of February. Mm -hmm. So I'm practicing for that and loving it. So you're busy. Well, in spite of all that, we thank you for all your time today for sharing your amazing stories. And it was just so great to catch up with you. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Krista Tesro for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.